Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. Going to the recap, now we're on to Tactics of the Enemy. Pastor Lauren uh, did two awesome messages these last two weeks. I thought it was great. The Rational Lies and Ambushed by Apathy. I don't know about you guys, but I found in both areas, I don't know, I haven't figured out what I enjoy more, preaching or sitting there and taking notes and really soaking it in because it's a different experience when you're up here. This is just fun. It's joyful. Like it's actually a lot of fun. It's a gift. It's a blessing and I don't take it for granted. Uh, but when I'm sitting in the chairs listening, then God convicts me of stuff that I didn't even see. You know, apathy, I thought, oh, this one's not for me, but I'm sure my wife needs it. And uh, <laughs> just, just kidding. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm just bugging you. But uh, anyways, I'm not, I'm not an emotional flatliner. So I'm not apathetic in any area. God showed me two areas that I was being apathetic that I had to repent of. I thought, oh, that's great. I just absolutely love it. God's word is living. Amen. It's living, and if you let it, you'll watch this thing divide every part of your inner being and expose you for who you are. And, and if that terrifies you, let me tell you, it's a joy. It is wonderful to stand completely exposed before your Father. It's a good thing. In heaven, anyways. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> now, to begin the year, when we back up to September, uh, when I first said yes to this role, I challenged us to give a blank check yes to the Lord. Do you guys remember that? I know that a lot of you remember it because I've, I've heard a, lo a lot of your stories on how you are giving your yes to the Lord. And I think that's really, really great. I think that that's a one way of simplifying what God is asking us to do, right, is yes, right? We love God, we love people, but we give our yes to him. Whatever he's asking us to do, we give our yes. And today we're going to look at one of those things that sidelines people when they've given their yes. Because it's possible to give your yes to Jesus and then stay exactly where you are, not because he's telling you to, uh, but because you've been sidelined by your circumstances. And that's really what we're going to be focusing on uh, today is circumstances. And there's lots of circumstances that come our way that seem to sideline us. There's tragedy. There's death. What about a disability? Or chronic pain? These are real things. What about depression and anxiety? We've been giving a lot of attention to that you know, this last year, and you see it in the media all the time because the numbers of people struggling with depression and anxiety are just skyrocketing. So what if you have depression and anxiety? Do those circumstances keep you from fulfilling the purpose for which God created you? Do they keep you sidelined from giving your yes to him or at least walking it out? Maybe it's a broken marriage and and maybe you're half responsible for that broken marriage. In many cases, it, it, it takes two to break that marriage, right? Not always. But you're sitting there thinking, well, I'm just suffering my own, my own consequences, right? I'm in the bed that I made. And so I want to give yes, but I don't have very much to offer the Lord. You know, it could also be a sin struggle that you can't overcome, or maybe it's sickness. Whatever it is, our circumstances often leave us sidelined. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. The enemy seeks to sow discouragement and disillusionment in your life if he can. I mean, there's many other things we've been talking about, right? With he loves the, uh, the, ouch, the, the soil of bitterness in our lives, right? But then he loves to plant deception. So deception is his main tool. And then he'll use many different strategies to try to get you from, from keeping your life set and focused on Jesus. And one of those things is discouragement and disillusionment. Right? So it might be trauma you experienced growing up. Often we ask, is God good, right? I mean, you give your life to him, or maybe you've been a long-time Christian, and circumstances hit your life, or, you know, your past comes back and it confronts you, and you're stuck in the present, and you wonder, how can God be good? I thought giving my life to Jesus, saying yes to him, meant that I was just going to bear fruit. Now, it does mean that, but how do we define bearing fruit? Often we think, well, the fruit of the Spirit, it's love, joy, peace, patience, joy, and peace. So then we should feel good all the time, right? If I give Jesus my yes, then somehow my circumstances are going to change, my circumstances will be better, I'll have a smile on my face all the time, and that seems to make sense. And then we get disillusioned when we have chronic pain or sickness or trauma, relational brokenness, anxiety, like I already mentioned, when these circumstances don't go away and we feel trapped and we feel stuck. 
If we aren't intentional, we easily get sidelined by these circumstances. And today we're talk I want to focus on how do we turn tragic circumstances into an opportunity. So we'll have to answer the question, an opportunity for what? So the first one is sidelined by circumstances. Two questions that you need to ask yourself, or before we even get to these, I'll just ask you, what are your current circumstances? You know, I'm, we're, we're going to focus mostly on bad circumstances, on, on tragic ones, but there's, there's actually there's other things that can cause us, that can derail us from the yes to Jesus, and that can sometimes simply be the busyness and cares of life. But we're not going to focus on that today. Today we're gonna, we can't focus on everything in one small message. Uh, but I'll ask, what are your circumstances like? Are they bad? Are they good? Do you have good health? Is your family doing well? Do you feel peace and joy all the time? Or are you one of those that are feeling like you're struggling through life? Unsure of what your purpose is. Unsure of what God's asking you. Unsure if you have anything to even offer him. So two questions that you should ask yourself, whether good or bad, your circumstances, are you currently sidelined by your circumstances? And by sidelined, I mean what God is asking us is to give us, to, to, for us to give him our yes, our unconditional yes. So are you waiting for your circumstances to change before you give that yes? If so, you are sidelined by your circumstances. And then the next question would be, do you see your circumstances as tragedy or an opportunity? Now, we're going to look at a story here. We just went through St. Patrick's Day. I don't know how many. Do you guys wear green for Friday? A few of you, yes. I totally forgot about the wearing green part, but I thought green things in my head. <laughs> what does that even mean? I, I don't know. I don't know. Anyways, we're going to talk a bit about St. Patty because St. Patty was a real person. Now, there is, there is true facts about his life, and then there is a whole bunch of legend. I was looking into some of the legend. My mom put me onto a book of a historical fiction book. There's lots of legends that grew from a real man's life. Um, but when we look at the real man, Patrick, what we're actually celebrating, it's not, maybe you didn't know this, but it's not beer and leprechauns that we're celebrating. <laughs> You're like, oh, I thought that's what it was all about. No, St. Patrick was a real person that did real things. He lived a remarkable life that we now remember because of, because of the way he lived. And so just a couple of facts about his life, right? Because we're going to look at was his life tragic or an opportunity? So the real story of St. Patrick's Day. Many, um, moving forward here, there was a man named Patrick. He was born into a Britain, he was born in Britain to a Christian family, but he didn't accept Christ until after he was kidnapped at the age of 15 by Irish pirates and sold to harsh men in Ireland, and he was forced to work as a herdsman by his captors. He was sold into slavery. Okay, so this is, this is the setting for his circumstances. Would we say this, you know, th these are good circumstances or bad circumstances? Bad. bad. We would say they're tragic. Like imagine that, you're raised in a Christian home, it started off good there, that's about where it ends. Right? Raised by a Christian family, you're like, this is starting off sweet, and then he's abducted, kidnapped by pirates, and sold into slavery, isolated, away from his home, away from his family. At this point, we would look at his circumstances and we would say the story is a tragedy. But is that why we remember him? No. During his time as a slave, he learned to pray and pursue his faith. And at the age of 22, he escaped and returned to Britain. But several years later, he had a dream calling him back to Ireland to minister to his people. It's reported that he hesitated to answer the call at first because he felt inadequate. So he hears actually the story of how he left Ireland. He heard a voice telling him to escape and he waited for the right time. It was God speaking to him. And he escapes only to feel God calling him to go back. And there was a slight delay in his going back. He gave his yes to the Lord, but there was a slight delay. I don't know if you can relate to this. He felt inadequate. Do you ever feel that with, with your yes to the Lord, that you're, maybe it's your circumstances or maybe it's your inadequacies? I don't have what it takes, Lord, to do what you're asking me to do. And St. Patrick, or Patrick, he actually struggled with that same thing. He felt inadequate, but ultimately his yes, his blank check yes to Jesus was resolute, and he went back to Ireland sharing Christ until his death. So it's a little murky on exactly when he was born and when he died. But they assume he died right around March 17th. That's what we're celebrating, uh, um, 461 AD. So he made a big impact and is thought to be responsible for bringing the gospel to Ireland. And that's why we celebrate St. Patrick's Day. 
And so there's a, a number of other things that he's known for. There's a huge impact that he's had, and a bunch of legend arose from that because he lived such a spectacular life. Now, we love hearing stories like this, right? When you hear a story of something that started off as tragedy, but ends off in victory and triumph, we all feel inspired. I mean, these are the stories we love to hear. Uh, I read a story, uh, I don't know, a number of months ago anyways now. Maybe it was last year sometime. Well, I'm sure it was, because we're only three months into this year. Anyways, last year sometime I read a, another story about a missionary family that had gone to minister to a tribe that were known to be cannibals. And the husband and son both get killed by the cannibals. I don't know if they got eaten. I forget that part of the story, but they definitely got killed by them. And what did, what did the wife and mother do? She grieves, obviously, and then goes back to the very same people that killed her husband and, and son. Why? To finish the work that God had assigned them. We hear stories like this and we say, what do they have? Like, what makes these people different? Like, it must be, I don't know if you know Disc or Myers-Briggs, it must be certain personalities, right? Like, that, that's got to be what it is. If you have the right personality, God can use you to do great things. Or maybe it's the right calling or gifting or something, right? We, we look at that and we wonder, what is it about these people that make them different than us? And we see tragedy in their lives, but somehow we see them triumph over tragedy. Now, going back to Patrick, a few things that you have to remember as we look at his story, because I wouldn't say his story ended in tragedy. He saw his life as an opportunity. But we have to remember, he had a good family, so that's good, but he, had, he was kidnapped. What do we call that? Trauma. That's trauma. How did the pirates treat him? He's 15, he's vulnerable. Probably more trauma. Sold into slavery, separated from his family. More trauma. You ever heard the term complex trauma? I think he would apply for complex trauma. He's in the middle of his darkest hour, and there he meets Jesus. In the middle of what should have been a traumatic event that destroyed him. That's where he meets Jesus. Not because of a pastor, not because of his family. Jesus meets him there. He gets an opportunity to leave, he escapes. That's amazing. Only to sense God calling him back to witness to his captors. Can you imagine that? After being treated that way, you know, we've talked about being unoffendable. Do you think he had to be unoffendable? That'll be a piece of what allows him to turn tragedy into triumph. Certainly it will be. But how does he feel? Determined, confident, bold? You know, is this personality that rises up in him? In his memoirs or the book that he wrote, um, it talks about his inadequacy. Is that where I got that from? He talks about feeling inadequate. He actually delayed on going back. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't talk about a guy who is just, you know, one of those get-or-done type personalities that no matter what it is, I don't care, I'm going to do it, it's yes to the end. That's not even how it's described in here. Inadequate, lacking confidence, lacking the skill set. Who am I? But yet determined to love and worship and obey the one who had saved him. He went back anyways. He finally obeys. Why? That's the question. So, we look at all of those reasons, that complex trauma, and we would say easily those are really good reasons for someone to be sidelined by circumstances. I'm not, even, I'm not even arguing that. We would say those are good reasons to be sidelined by circumstances. But then we easily fall into this trap that says, well, I mean, if you've had lived circumstances like that, you can be sidelined then God, you, you know, God doesn't have a, a vision for your life then, or he doesn't have a purpose for your life, or you can't fulfill it somehow. So, Patrick turned his circumstances into an opportunity. Was he sidelined by circumstances? Was he sidelined, though, in the end? In the end, no. In the end, no, he was not sidelined by his circumstances. So, there's a key truth in order for us to get here, and this is why deception and lies are so important. Uh, to understand them. Because sometimes we just say, well, just love God and it'll all work out. We have to learn about God and we have to learn to know God. We actually need both. Because we have to learn what loving God looks like. And we easily can get 
uh, sidelined by having a false understanding of what God wants for our lives. So what is a truth that, he, that Patrick will have known that we need to understand about our purpose? I'll tell you what it is. This one right here. Our primary purpose is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. See, this purpose has to be, when, if you don't understand what your purpose is here on the earth, you will easily be sidelined by circumstances because you'll think that your purpose is to what? To be happy? To feel fulfilled? To live a good life? If that's your purpose, you can easily be sidelined by circumstances. But if your purpose is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God, when that is your purpose, there is no circumstance that can keep you from your purpose. And that's the second truth you need to keep and, and hold on to if you're not to be sidelined by circumstances. You can fulfill your purpose in any and every and all circumstances. There is nothing that an angel or demon or height or depth or length or anything in all creation that can keep you from your purpose or from the love of God. There is nothing that can keep you from that other than yourself. You can glorify God in all of your circumstances and thus fulfill your purpose on the earth. We'll go back to this. This is the discipleship target that we've been using. And what I really want to highlight is the middle. And we've done this, I've done this before, but around the edge, you see those are the things that we're learning about and growing in those elements of truth that we need to stand on and those practices that we need to stand on. But as you go into the center, the center is there for a reason, and we call it a target, not a wheel for a reason, because a target, where do you aim? The center. Exactly, the middle, right? That is the goal. That's what it means to glorify God, to know Him, to love Him, to worship Him, and obey Him. And there is no circumstance that you can go through that will keep you from doing those things. It's important that we understand this. So, how do we glorify God in our circumstances? So glorify God in your current circumstances. One of the biggest hindrances that I see in myself and others is that we are waiting for circumstances to change before we say yes or follow through on our yes to Jesus. Very common. And I catch myself doing it. Of course, right? And we see it even in New Year's resolutions. Isn't that what we see, right? I mean, come New Year's, now we're in the beginning of the year, so you don't have to worry about that for a long time. But December, that's when the pressure starts mounting because you know all of the things you're going to have to change come January, right? When January hits, that's when I'm going to start eating healthy. When January hits, that's when I'm going to start exercising, right? The New Year's resolution. I remember when I used to go to the, uh, the gym, well, in a public gym. Now I go in my basement. But anyways, January was always just wild. The first two weeks of January, you could hardly ever get on any equipment except for the squat rack. <laughs> always empty. Anyways, but it's just jam-packed in there. And then after two weeks, all the new people, gone. Where'd they go? You see, they thought, there's circumstances. They're waiting for circumstances to change, right? Come January, then I'm going to have motivation. Then I'm going to have grit. Then I'm going to have this when my circumstances change. And the truth is, if you can't do the things that you need to do in the place where you are now, you're not going to do them later either. That's just how things work. And so we can't be sidelined waiting for our circumstances to change. You can't change your circumstances. Can you change your past? Can you change the circumstances you were born into? Can you change the trauma you've experienced? You can't, but you can make a choice on how you're going to respond to it. You can make a choice on what your yes means to Jesus. Will you glorify God in your current circumstances? That is a choice you could make. No one can take that choice from you. And I'll tell you, I know you might say, yeah, but some people just have it so easy. I would argue that. I don't actually know that that's true. For me, when my circumstances are good, I always find that's when apathy creeps in. Often we need the fire in our lives to move us forward. Now, Jeremiah 29, 11. I love this verse. Isn't it great? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for your welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Amen. Right? 
Amen. I love this verse. I had, uh, I've had devotionals in the past. You know, you get them on here. This is probably one of the most quoted verses on devotionals. Encouragement of the day. Verse of the day. I'm sure this verse has been verse of the day more than almost any other verse in the Bible. Because we feel good when we read that. Oh, look at that. Uh, he, God knows the plans he has for us, and they're plans for my welfare, not for evil. That sounds like plans for good circumstances. One of my favorite verses, I have it memorized, and I have the next couple memorized too, but I'll also tell you it's one of the most used out of context verses as well, and I'll challenge you to read all of Je uh, Jeremiah 29 uh, later on, but we're going to look at pieces of it, right? Often we read this and we think God's plan is to lead us into freedom, success, better living, happiness, and fill in the blanks of whatever else I missed, right? You're going to be wealthier, you're going to be wiser, you're going to be healthier. All of those good things. And then we're disappointed when our circumstances don't change. And we think somehow that God isn't faithful to his word. So let's look at this word in context. Jeremiah 29, 2 to 14. You can open your Bibles there and go there yourself. I'm going to. I have too many bookmarks in here. It's hard to find the one I'm looking for. <clears throat> you know how that is? You're like, oh, I've got to remember this and come back to it. And then... You're on the next thing. Oh, i got to remember it. And suddenly you have a dozen bookmarks. It's just ridiculous. All right. Let's read. Jeremiah 29, 2-14. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So these are Jeremiah's writing to the Israelites who've been taken by Nebuchadnezzar into exile. Slavery, just to be clear on that, right? Okay, taken into exile. Now, let's pick up here in verse 2. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of El Elisa and the son of Shepan and Gemariah, the son of Hilkai, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon. To Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, it said. Wow, those names are not foreign. They're foreign to me. Pick it up in four. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. That's curious. I have sent. <laughs> Maybe it's a typo. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there, and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for it's in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord God, no, I'm going to stop there. So, by the way, I don't want to pick on anybody here, but this passage here spoke to me lots when, during, the, during the months of months, the years of covid you know one of the common things that I heard from believers, and don't feel bad if you said this, because I was wrestling with this too, trying to search this book and figure out what is God asking us to do? And you know the position I took. We stayed in the middle. I felt like God was calling us to, to submit to the government, but continue being the church outside the walls. But this is one of the passages that really got me, because often the thing I was hearing from believers is God would never take our freedoms away. How do we reconcile that with verses and passages like this? It says very clearly that God sent them into exile. That it was through Nebuchadnezzar's hand, an evil man, but God sent them. It says it twice. It starts it off that way and then ends it that way. And again, this isn't, you know, we don't have to go and feel bad for how we wrestled with things in the past. But we do have to get our hearts and minds right for as we go forward because we may face similar circumstances again. And we need to base our responses on here so that we can fulfill our purpose and not be sidelined by circumstances. Because if you're fighting the wrong fight, guess what you just did? Sidelined yourself by circumstances. Okay, back on to this. Let's go back to the Bible, right? I'm going to feel more comfortable. Here we go. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Yeah. 
For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and places where I have driven you. Now what I find really interesting about this passage is this. What was included in the Lord's good plan for his people? Exile. Seventy years of exile was part of God's good plan. And he didn't say, these 70 years of pain that you're going to go through, that's what it would be. Ripped from your homeland, put into slavery. That's going to be 70 years where you get a pass. He says, no, I'm calling you to go into the Babylonian Empire, and there you will glorify my name. You will plant, you will prosper, you will pray for their welfare. And when they have good welfare, it'll be for your good welfare. See, God doesn't always remove us from difficult circumstances. In fact, Scripture would say in many cases he'll put us in difficult circumstances, but the call on our lives remains the same, that we are to glorify him in any and all circumstances. This is the key to living a purpose-filled life. Like I said, no circumstances that you face can keep you from fulfilling your purpose. None. No disability, no sickness, no pain, no anxiety, no loss. We'll talk about how we do that in a moment, but Matthew 10, 18 to 20. I love this. And you will be dragged. Look, this is so encouraging, isn't it? You will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. I love that. He wants to bear witness to people all around the world, even evil people, because he loves them. So what does he say? I'm going to call you to be dragged before those governors and kings so that you can bear witness about me. You know, we don't experience this as much here in Canada, although I think it's coming. But other places in the world, he calls them to shed their blood, to martyr themselves for the sake of his name so that people will know who he is to glorify him. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. We're going to play a video now, and the video is going to give an example, and we're going to build the rest of the message on there, of Johnny Erickson Tata. Maybe you've heard of her before. If not, then you will be blessed by this seven minutes of testimony, and we're going to unpack tragedy to opportunity after. I grew up in a very athletic family, tennis, horseback riding. My earliest memories of um, hearing about the God of the Bible, though, was around the campfire on the beach of the Delaware shore with my sisters, my mom and dad, hearing stories of Noah, David, Moses, Daniel. But God really, really, he, he really wasn't very personal. All that changed, though, when I was a 14-year-old kid, went away on a kind of a church weekend retreat, and I, was challenged by the speaker. He said, kids, I want you to measure your lives up against the Ten Commandments. Well, I had never committed adultery, or I don't think I, I stole anything in a big way, but you know what? It, it didn't matter. As I measured my life up against those commandments one by one by one, oh, I, I got this overwhelming sense that I'm missing the mark. I'm not going to make it. Oh, God, help me. It troubled me at first that God gave us a bunch of commandments that he knew very well we couldn't keep. But then it hit me at that weekend retreat. It hit me, that's why Jesus came. He was the one who kept the commandments. He was the one who obeyed the law, even though I didn't and even though I couldn't. I was only 14, but um, I was able to reach out right then and embrace Jesus and say, I, I need you. I, 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 I want to make it out of earth alive, and you're my only passport, so please. Well, I came home from that weekend retreat, all fired up, all pumped, all excited. But then um, through high school, um, the enthusiasm of what I had done began to wane, especially when I started confusing the abundant Christian life with the great American dream. My prayers were so self-centered, like, uh, God, help me to lose weight. God, I need a new boyfriend. God, give me good grades on this test. 
unfortunately, I guess I thought I had done God a great big favor by accepting Jesus as my Savior. And I remember right around my senior year of high school, I prayed, Lord, I, I'm, not, I'm not doing this Christian thing right, and I know it. I don't want to go off to college and defame your good name, smear your reputation. I know it's about far more than just me, so do something in my life to jerk it right side up, because I'm really living this life wrong. Just a few weeks after high school graduation, as I was preparing to head off to college, my sister Kathy invited me to go to the beach for a swim. I swam out to this raft, athlete that I was, I didn't even touch bottom, hoisted myself up onto it and then took this really stupid dive into what ended up being extremely shallow water. I snapped my head back when I hit bottom and it crunched my fourth cervical vertebrae, severing my spinal cord. There I was lying face down in the water, desperately hoping that my sister Kathy would please notice that I had not surfaced from my dive. Unbeknownst to me, her back was turned to me. She didn't even see me take that dive. But a crab bit her toe. And it so startled her that she quick turned around in the water screamed to me, Johnny, watch out for crabs. And when she did, she saw my blonde hair floating on the surface. I was face down, ready to drown. She came swimming quickly, pulled me up out of the water. And I never, I never was so grateful for fresh air. She saved me, but for what purpose, for what reason? Because now, lying there in a hospital, doctors told me I was going to have to sit down for the rest of my life as a quadriplegic without use of my legs or, or even my hands. My hands don't work. And I remember thinking, God, is this, is this your idea of an answer to a prayer to be drawn closer to you? If it is, you're never gonna be trusted with another one of my prayers again. I mean, I'm a new Christian. How could you have taken me so seriously? I sank into deep depression. I remember there were wonderful Christian friends who came to the hospital and they encouraged me. And one Bible verse they shared was from Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, where God says, I know the plans I have for you, plans not to harm you, but to help you, plans to prosper you and to give you a hopeful future. God, you, you mean you plan not to harm me? Well, what do you call quadriplegia, huh? What's that all about? As I read that verse and the context around it, I realized something, that when God said that, he was saying it to his children who were being dragged away into captivity by, by the Babylonians. They were going to exile, they were going into slavery. They had decades in front of them of hard, awful suffering. And I began to see that God's plans for a hopeful future for me was not necessarily jumping up, dancing, kicking, doing aerobics, running, walking, getting back use of my arms and my legs, no. God's plans for me go far deeper, a deeper healing, a precious healing of the soul. Because as I was pushed into the arms of God every morning, and that's the truth, even to this day, don't be thinking I'm an expert at quadriplegia. But as it was then in the hospital and as it is today, every morning I wake up saying, Jesus, I can't do this thing called life. Please help me. Please show up, give me your smile, give me your strength because I can't make it through the day. And because I go to God with that earnest dependency and, and requirement of His grace every single day, I take that back, no, every single moment, I experience the sweetest, most precious, most intimate union with Jesus Christ. So in Jeremiah 29, when God says He won't harm us, doesn't mean the body, doesn't mean our circumstances. He's not going to do anything to harm our soul. Yes, our body may get harmed, but it will somehow serve to enrich our soul. In closing, let me just say that quadriplegia 46 years of it, that's a long time. I deal with chronic pain. I, um, I had breast cancer a couple of years ago, and I remember, I remember as my husband was driving me home in the van from chemotherapy one day, we were talking about how suffering 
is like little splashovers of hell, kind of like waking us up out of our spiritual slumber. And then we, we pulled in the driveway and he said, well, then what do you think splashovers of heaven are? Are they those easy, breezy, bright times where everything's going your way, where you have health? And we said, no. Splashovers of heaven are finding Jesus in your splashover of hell. And to find Jesus in your hell is ecstasy beyond compare. And I wouldn't trade it for any amount of walking in this world. Incredible story, amen? Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you see the quadriplegia, but then you also see that then she has cancer after and her outlook on life is inspirational because she's not sidelined by her circumstances. She understands her purpose. And I think it's the most beautiful thing for her to say she wouldn't trade it for all of the walking in the world. I, I love that quote, though, where she said, you know, splashovers of heaven is, is finding Jesus in the middle of your hell. I thought that was just powerful. That's sunk with me all week as I've been uh, meditating on it. So let's take uh, three takeaways from that because I think we, we need to look at how do we glorify God in our circumstances. And moving on to the next point here, uh, Jesus will, he will redeem your painful circumstances if you let him. And that's important for us to understand. He's going to use, by the way, I'll just, I'll just say this. He will already use your life to glorify him. Romans says that we will be instruments of his mercy or instruments of his wrath. Ultimately, all people will, will serve to show different aspects of his character, uh, but that's a message for another time. Right now we're talking about the redemptive qualities of giving God your yes and allowing him to work through tragic circumstances. So if we let him, he's going to redeem it in our lives, and this is, this is an amazing thing. So the first thing he will do is enable you to minister to others more effectively. And, you know, this is something that um, you know, when I used to lead the personal ministry teams, I would always say, you know, you don't have to have my background. You don't have to come through addictions in order to minister to someone in addictions. And there's truth in that in the sense of all of us have, if you're a believer anyways, if you're a believer in Jesus, you have the same power in you that raised Christ Jesus from the dead and seated him next to the Father in the place of honor in the heavenly realms. So you have that if you're a believer. However, there is something true about our circumstances enabling us to minister to others going through similar circumstances more effectively. And you find this both in human experience, but you also find it in the Word. We look here in uh, 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 to 6, but this is uh, just verse 3 here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Okay, so God is a God of comfort. And he comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which ourselves are comforted by God. What is he saying? So then he goes on to say, for we are called to suffer. We'll, we'll go through the sufferings of Christ as believers. We'll suffer with him. But as we suffer with him, and we know that, right? In this world, you will have trouble. But there's a promise that goes hand in glove, hand in hand with that. You will suffer, yes, but he also wants to give you comfort. And as he gives you both, it's both, he actually empowers you to now be able to go and administer or minister that comfort to others that are going through a similar struggle. And that is a wonderfully beautiful thing, and it's so redemptive how God will take difficult circumstances in your lives and use it, if you'll let him, to minister and love other people that are going through similar circumstances. And I love that. And that's, by the way, why like, all of our lives are different. But your story, your circumstances matter. They're a part of the purpose for which God created you. He wants to use them to minister to others and to display his glory on the earth. You know, what's interesting about this idea, though, of going through sufferings and being comforted there enables us to minister more effectively. Jesus actually did the same thing. We look at Hebrews uh, 4.15, and it says we have a perfect high priest. Why? Because he's able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. So that's an interesting thought, isn't it? We have a perfect high priest because he can sympathize with our weaknesses. So because he's been tempted in every which way we were, because he has suffered in every which way that we can suffer, yet without sin, he, it, now, it now enables him to be our perfect high priest. 
And that's a really interesting thought because he's perfect already, but he made himself more relatable by the things he went through. Not only did he purchase our freedom for eternity, but he also made himself more accessible and relatable to us as we go through sufferings because he allowed himself to suffer. That's, a, that's an incredible thought to ponder on. You know, Johnny has a worldwide ministry that fulfills the Great Commission. You know where she focuses? In the area of people with disabilities. She brings hope to people with disabilities all around the world, has a very effective ministry, has done so for many years. She has an authority to speak there because of her disability, and she knows it. And she uses it. Instead of being bitter, instead of being sidelined, she's taken quadriplegia and used that as a springboard, as an opportunity to display God's glory on the earth and to reach a people group. And I love that. That is so incredibly beautiful. Right? You know, when we look at... Um, oh, no, I'm going to move on to that. No. Those who've gone through grief are better equipped to help those who are grieving. Isn't that true? It's hard to help someone who's grieving if you yourself have never suffered through loss. I mean, we can all help in the sense of we can sit there and be a, a, a body, a presence. And by the way, being a presence to someone who's grieving is, is incredibly valuable. But there is something to experiencing loss for yourself. When you have gone through loss, it, it enables you to minister to others in loss in a way that, that those who haven't experienced it can't. And that is true for so many of our struggles. God will redeem them if we allow him to. Number two, just watching my time. Display his glory through your weakness. So this is the, this is the second thing he'll do if we let him. 2 Corinthians uh, 4, 7 to 10, I love this, but we, are, we have this treasure in jars of clay. I always like to call myself a crackpot uh, because I feel like my jar is broken all over. It is, and I, just, and I love that because a broken jar would leak if you fill it with anything, Right? So I'm okay with that. I leak, and then if it's God in me, if it's Christ in me, and I leak that all over the place, then all the glory goes back to him. But that's what it's saying here, right? We have treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our earthly bodies. Incredible passage. God wants to display his glory through our weaknesses. Because we all know, like, if you love, Jesus said this, if you love those who love you, what good is that? Obviously, we should still do that. Love your kids, even if they love you. Right? But he's saying anyone can do that. You don't need the Spirit of God in you to be kind to someone who's being kind to you. But when you see people who love God with reckless abandon, that just love people no matter what they're going through, they can be facing death, they can be stuck in a disability, they can be facing all sorts of brokenness and pain in their lives, but they continue to get up and praise the Lord's name. They continue to love those around them. We all know that that points us away from them and onto Jesus. It, it points us to something supernatural. God will display his glory through our weaknesses. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 to 10 this is Paul, they think he had probably some kind of eye problem, but he was prayed three times that God would, re would remove the thorn in his flesh, and God said, no, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And look at Paul's response to that. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Those are some pretty terrible circumstances. And Paul said, I am okay with terrible circumstances. If those are the things in my life that are going to make the light of Christ shine brighter for all to see, then I'm okay with bad circumstances. Whatever it takes, whatever it takes so that men will see him and not me. That was Paul's, that was Paul's response, and I love that. It's absolutely beautiful. So if we let him... God will use our weaknesses to display his glory. And third, he will refine us and prepare us for eternity. So these are the three things. If we let him, if we let God in our painful circumstances, our tragedy, he will do these three things. He'll use the very things that have destroyed you or you feel like have destroyed you. He'll use that anxiety, that loss, that pain. He'll use that, that, that depression 
That brokenness, he'll use it to empower you to minister to others. He'll use it to display his glory through your weakness. And he'll use it to refine you and prepare you for eternity. Look at this, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I love that. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And that's a beautiful thing. Johnny's life fulfilled all three of these, which is beautiful. We're going to do a, a practical piece here because I actually just want us to apply this. I don't want us to leave here without applying it before we then go in and uh, sing the final song of worship. But, you know, years ago, and I've shared this here before, uh, years ago, I don't know, oh, I do know where I was. I was coming to an, uh, a set free, and it was Saturday. It was, it was a Saturday. It was day two of the set free, and I'm tired had woken up late, I was a bit frazzled, and kicking myself in the butt for not waking up earlier, and I'm nearing by Timber Falls there, rounding the corner, and suddenly, you ever have those moments where you're not even really praying, but then the Spirit of God just kind of grabs your heart? And he, he asked me a question, he said, you want to know why I've allowed you to struggle? And you see, that the question in itself bared relevance because this was a question that I had thrown back at the Lord many times over. Many times over. Lord, I feel like it doesn't matter what you ask me to do, nothing ever comes easy. I'm never smart enough, I'm never disciplined enough, I'm never good enough, I'm never strong enough, I'm not tall enough, whatever, I don't know if I care about my height too much. But anyhow, I'm not enough. I felt inadequate. It felt like everything he taught me was such a battle and struggle, and I failed way more than I succeeded. Like, in human terms, I felt like if this was a real war, I was losing. And I often told the Lord, Lord, if you would just take, like, it's not that I don't want, I want you, like, like, Jesus, take the wheel, the song, right? Jesus, take the wheel. I tried that many times over. Just take the wheel. Take it. Because I'm thinking all of these things in my life are going to disqualify me. And I thought, Lord, if you would just take these things away, think of how much more effective I could be. You ever thought that? Just take away all my struggles and think of how much more effective I will be. And so when the Lord asked me, do you want to know why I've allowed you to struggle? It, it grabbed a cord in my heart and I, I said right away to him, well, I mean, if you're going to share it, I don't know what kind of revelation you're going to give me when I'm rushed and, and speeding to work, not speeding in a sinful way. <clears throat> but anyways, <laughs> moving quickly to work <laughs> at church. <laughs> so, so, and he said, Stefan, it's your struggles that have given you such a heart of love for people. And he said, it's because you've had to struggle through absolutely everything. Nothing comes easy. You don't judge people quickly. And that's a comment that I've received from people often throughout my years of ministry, is that they don't feel judged by me. They can share things with me and they don't feel judged. And the reason why that is, is because I feel like I'm the biggest sinner of them all. And I know what it's like, nothing comes easy. I know it's not as easy just to be, just be happy, just stop being anxious, just stop doing that addictive behavior, just feel more like this, just wake up and spend time with the Lord. None of that stuff ever came like that for me. God has used difficult circumstances in my life to create a heart in me that reflects his glory. And I've told him many times, if that's what it takes to make me more like you, then I'm open to any circumstances, no matter how hard they are. So, let's do this together. Turn tragedy into opportunity, glorify God. Splashes over of heaven is finding Jesus in the middle of your hell. That's Johnny's quote there. So what are you currently going through? And I'll encourage you, if you have your journals here, to pull out your journals and just spend a, a couple of minutes going through this as far as you can. I'll give you not too many, maybe three, and then we're gonna sing a last song together. But start going through this on your phone, in your journal, in your heart. Let's do this now. I just want to pray for you as we start. Lord, I know that in this place there are, there are so many different people and there's so many different circumstances that are, that are represented here. Lord, I think about those that are here that, that barely got here today, that getting out of bed, they almost didn't have enough strength to get out of bed. 
because of all the turmoil that's going on inside. Lord, and then my heart goes to, to David and the kids and their loss with Clara this last week. Unimaginable pain. And I know there's others here that have experienced loss. Think of those with disabilities, those with chronic pain. Right now, Lord, whatever those things are, those circumstances that you have placed us in, maybe we put ourselves, or I don't know what everyone's circumstance is, but what we do know is if we give you these circumstances, you will use them to glorify your name. And Lord, that's what we want. And so today I ask that you would give each of us the strength to open up our hearts completely to you, to give our circumstances to you, to give our pain wholly to you, to use in whichever way that you want. a couple minutes, work through those questions. one of the steps in there is worship Jesus in whatever you're going through. It's one of the most beautiful things. You know, we'll do it together here. And I want you to think about what you're going through and about that yes to Jesus and what it means as we're worshiping together. But worship is this beautiful thing that you can do on your own. Uh, I like to do it early in the morning and bug my family <clears throat> or just my wife <laughs> like this morning in the shower and then just belt it out or in my office. But you know, you can be by yourself, you can be with others, and there's something beautiful. There's something beautiful about the way we glorify God when we can sing his praises, and we can bless his name regardless of what we're going through. It does something in us, but it does something and declares something to the heavenlies, and it's beautiful. And so why don't you stand with us now and let's give God the glory. 